Okay, another great episode of the Ortho Show podcast. We're bringing on a brother of another mother from Curlin Joe, Phil Davidson, who's an orthopedic surgeon, sports medicine specialist in Salt Lake City and Park City. He is in solo private practice. Uh, really a, a terrific uh, uh, intellect. He has a lot of really cool ideas and concepts that he's doing. Uh, he is a serial entrepreneur. I love the fact he's, he's part of the University of Utah, where he's part of the entrepreneur residence which means that he's there helping to mentor uh, uh, young students who have ideas within the medical space about commercializing businesses, et cetera. So I love that he pays it forward in that regard. Uh, he's been in practice, private practice down in Florida and now in Utah, uh, multiple different uh, uh, companies that he started. And now most recently, he's the medical director for Arcuro Medical, which produces the Super Bowl uh, meniscal repair device, which uh, I am personally enamored by, have been uh, using it routinely, have been really impressed by the results. But it's a great episode, a great man in orthopedics, and I think you're going to love it. Dr. Scott Sigmund. Hashtag follow the pro. From medical media, this is The Author Show. At Cohot Health, our goal is empowering your practice to achieve total financial health. We understand this looks different for every practice, which is why the Cohot solutions are tailored to fit your needs. Our Cohot Health team is here to guide your practice success by improving your financial process so you can collect all the cash you are owed, providing a great patient experience, and creating your plan for what comes next for you and your partners. Through open communication, this creative application of technology and a love for efficient processes, Koha ensures that you reach the next great milestone. You've built your practice. Let us help you build its future. To learn more, visit kohahealth.com. That's K-O-H-A health.com. Hello world, Dr. Scott Sigmund, your favorite opioid-sparing orthopedic surgeon here for another episode of the Ortho Show podcast, where everyone knows we bring you the best of the best in orthopedics. Today is no exception. We are going out to the West Coast for Dr. Phil Davidson, who's an orthopedic surgeon. He's a sports medicine specialist. He's in private practice, a solo private practice at the Davidson Orthopedic Clinic in Salt Lake City, Utah. Phil, it is a pleasure to have you on. Well, thanks for the invitation. I'm glad to be here, Scott. Oh, terrific. So you and I are contemporaries. Actually, you're a couple years older than me, but we won't, we won't hold that against you. We have a little contrast in hair as well, but there are those that are watching on the YouTube channel, they'll figure that out. But tell us where it all started. We love to hear, you know, where did you grow up? When was it going to be orthopedics with your family doctors? Tell us about what's going on in your childhood. Well, let me think about this. So, um, I guess as my education came to the point where I was thinking about careers, I was pretty objective about it. I thought I really like to do things with my hands, whether it be uh, home projects, uh, woodwork. I, I knew I liked to do things with my hands. I also really liked to study. It may sound a little nerdy or it may sound like a confession, but I enjoy study even to this day. And I also knew I wanted to deal with people. So I was like, how could I combine ongoing study using my hands and dealing with people. And surgery to me was a natural, um, was a natural pathway. 
I'd seen, I grew up in the household with a doctor. My dad was a neurosurgeon and I knew I definitely didn't want to do that. Uh, he was in the era where this was before cellular telephony and before hospitalists. I mean, imagine if you're a neurosurgeon uh, managing ICU patients with no cell phone and no hospitalists. I mean, what a what a difficult pathway. So you, you wanted, barely saw probably barely saw him in childhood. I mean, he was spending the entire time operating and in the hospital. Yeah, it was quite difficult. So while I really wanted to be a surgeon, I wanted to find a way to do surgery kind of on my terms, if you will, caring for patients, but also as an expression of creativity and uh, and using my hands. You know, wonderful. So, so you you obviously studied pretty good. I mean, you got into Harvard. Well, um, I think if you ask my sons, I have three adult sons. They would all tell you that I went to Harvard to row, uh, as compared to them that are better academics than I am. Um, so, no, I was um, a high school rower when I I moved to Atlantic City. Uh, well, actually, in Ventnor, south of Atlantic City, when I was beginning high school. And um, for some reason, the school didn't have a soccer team. And I was like, well, if I can't play soccer, what am I going to do? And my homeroom teacher's like, well, look, you're tall enough. You're big enough. Come out to row. And, you know, three years later, we'd won a national championship, gotten a lot of recognition. It was a very important part of what I did in high school in terms of discipline and athletics and friends. And so I, I applied to schools to row and Harvard was a good rowing school. And and uh, that's how it came to pass. Yeah, if you want to get into a good Ivy, Ivy League school, start rowing, man. That is one way uh, to definitely open up a back door in for sure. Not that you needed it. I'm sure you were really smart and you had great uh, grades, but still, you know, take all the advantages you can to get into a school for sure. It really made me chuckle. Do you remember the uh, the Varsity Blues scandal where celebrities and wealthy people were, were getting their children into elite schools using uh, fake sports resumes? And one of the sports they were using was rowing. It made me chuckle. My mom called me up that day, said, Philip, uh, we never we never did that. We never did that at all. I was like, okay. Yeah, no, you did it, man. You actually rode and you got, right, a, right. got a scholarship. Well, you don't get a scholarship, but you know, you got accepted to row at Harvard. I mean, how good is that? That's as great yeah, as it gets. Yeah, it, was a, it was a good experience. It's uh, definitely not a sport that most parents will sort of initiate, right? It's not your classic football, uh, hockey, baseball, or lacrosse. That's for sure. No. Um, all right. So you get into Harvard, you're rowing, which, uh, you know, sort of continues on this path of doing sports and athletics. And, you know, and so did you have some injuries early on that sort of led you to the orthopedic surgeon's office that sort of orthopedics was going to be the type of surgery? Yeah. So my uh, I didn't have injuries rowing there at Harvard, as you may know, that's there's a very well established like they call it uh, house sports or club sports, basically. And so our, our house, using the Oxford system of about 400 people, played tackle football. Well, my tackle football career was really pretty checkered because I lived in a housing unit of seven guys, six of them were on the varsity football team, and me, I was on the rowing team. So they thought this was hysterical. Their skinny roommate was going to go out and uh, play football. So I was like, no, I can do this. I can do this until the first game, and I broke my ankle. So there I am sitting in the training room with a fractured ankle, like all dressed up for football. And my roommates are coming by. It's all they could do to hide their laughter. You know, here I'd completely, you know, had a, a football career of less than 60 minutes and broken my leg. So, but I really did draw upon the experience because the fracture, I had an ankle fracture that can be treated either surgically or non-surgically. And the Harvard orthopedist at that time, I think it was a guy named Mark Boland, uh, or Art, 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 
Art Boland or Mark Steiner, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. And another guy named Bill Southmate. Anyway, they had yeah. a consensus. They were like, no, 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 this should be fixed surgically. And I said, well, that's all good and well. Let me get one more opinion. So I went out to a guy who was older out in Brookline. I took the T with a newly broken leg. I mean, what a, what a journey. And uh, so I'm on the subway with a broken leg and I get to this guy's office. He goes, well, I think we could treat this non-surgically. So I elected or selected without much insight or knowledge, non-surgical care. And my ankle turned out fine without surgery. So I think that, I don't know if that informed my, the way I counsel patients, but it certainly was interesting how I had a good result choosing non-surgical care. Interesting. And, and, and so from there, obviously you do well at Harvard, you get into Cornell Medical School, off to Baylor for your residency. Uh, at what point, you know, when, when was orthopedics sort of solidified at Cornell where you knew that that's the direction we're going to go? Yeah, and I guess all of us as orthopedists have that moment, but I had thought in medical school, I really loved anatomy. And at college, I studied comparative anatomy, spent a lot of time um, thinking about working on anatomic studies. I did comparative anatomy using doing animal research. It was a, a fabulous experience. So I thought, well, I'm, I'm going to be a surgeon. Why don't I be a surgeon of really complicated anatomy? And I thought head and neck or ENT. And uh, that was really kind of ideal, ideal in my mind until I did a rotation at the Manhattan Eye and Ear Hospital with ENT surgeons and realized most of it was about either cancer or cosmetics, neither of which had a huge appeal to me. So meanwhile, I'm going to the gym. I was a poor student like most of us during medical school and and I was in the gym. We had this lousy gym in the basement of one of our buildings. And most of the guys in the gym, I didn't realize it initially, were orthopedic residents from Hospital for Special Surgery. And so I was meeting these guys who basically loved what they were doing. And here I had set off on a, with a career idea that wasn't panning out. And so I saw all these guys that loved what they were doing. And I said, I have to check that out. Did some rotations at HSS. And that was it. I knew this was going to be good for me. Yeah, well, it's you know when you're at HSS, you're you're at one of the meccas of the world for orthopedic surgery. It's sort of uh, not surprising that it sparked an interest, you know, for sure. So, so all right, so it's orthopedics. You're off to Baylor, and then uh, you're going to do your Colonel Joe Fellowship like two years before me. I'm not sure if you knew that. Yeah. Um, so, sports medicine. I mean, once you got into Baylor and you started seeing the orthopedic side of things, you you, you were drawn uh, to the sports side. Yeah, I mean, I'm like many of us in the field, I'm a sports fan, a sport, an avid sports fan, not just a participant, but also a fan. And um, while I was a resident at Baylor, a mentor of mine, a guy named Dr. Bill Bryan, was the physician for the Houston Astros. And he asked me, I think it was my second or third year as a resident, he said, hey, Phil, it's a quiet Tuesday night. Uh, would you go out and would you cover the game uh, tonight? I was like, really, what? I was so excited by the idea, it never occurred to me. So I go out to the Astrodome and I, I have a, a pass. I go into the locker room and there in like the player's lounge is Yogi Berra. He was a bench coach for the Astros that year. Yogi Berra, uh, Nolan Ryan, Mike Scott. I mean, it was these four guys around the table. I mean, Yogi Berra and Nolan Ryan, Hall of Famers. Mike Scott, another player on the Astros and, uh, and a fourth. They're playing cards. I was like, holy mackerel, I pinch me. Am I really here? It was pretty exciting. And so that inspired me to want to dive more, you know, working with the Astros during those years to work more of a sports medicine. And then there was a recent graduate of Curl and Job, um, a guy named Bruce Mosley, uh, was hired at Baylor. 
And Bruce uh, was one of my faculty members. I did lots of work with him and he was really encouraging. He's like, you know, this is an amazing opportunity. You should apply, you should go. And I think he advocated for me and I went. Yeah, and at, at the time, I mean, it was one of the, the clear top sports medicine fellowships because, you know, the fellowships were different, right? You could go and meet with a guy for a year and hang out and learn what he would do. Uh, but if you truly were into the idea and the concept of managing sports teams, there weren't that many fellowships that really did it well. And Curlin Job obviously was one of the ones that created, you know, that concept. And so, you know, throw out some names. Who were who were you were? You know, we're, we were there pretty much the same time. Yeah, I mean, some, yeah, no, some I clear that, legends of orthopedics there. For oh sure. yeah, I mean the opportunity to um, to this day. I worked with Bob Curlin. At that point, he was no longer doing surgery. He was just doing office orthopedics, and he showed me some exam techniques that I use to this day. But I think the most important thing I learned in the fellowship um, wasn't what each individual showed me, but the fact that. At that time, there were seven attendings, uh, and seven guys would look at the same problem and have seven different approaches. And that, to me, was really illustrative, really educational, that there's not just one way to do the right thing, and that's it. There's many approaches, and that, to me, was really uh, an important part, formative in how I think about surgical problems. I guess the other formative experience I have was working with Jim Taboni, who was the fellowship director at that time. And I was with Jim on his service and we we're doing a case. And that morning, some guy comes in the lounge before surgery and he's carrying a bag full of instrumentation. I mean, it was like a, 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 a gallon bag, right? With all this stuff in it. And he hands the bag to Jim and Jim starts looking at it and touching it, talking about the stuff. And he goes, yeah, sure, just sterilize this. And then during the coming procedure, these instruments were used and Jim was basically test driving instruments, some new, some existent. And that to me, it was like, wow, as surgeons, we can help figure out instruments. We can design or modify or work with instrumentation. And that was also really kind of eye-opening to me, such that when I went into private practice the next year in Florida, I was contacted and uh, by industry and began to you know, work with instrumentation first year I was in practice. It was, kind of, it was really fun. Yeah, I mean, the, the Colonel Joe badge, it just opens doors for the rest of your career. It just, it just does. And, and you got to remember back in that time, I mean, you know, but uh, you know, Neil Elitrage was probably in, in practice for two years, right? You yeah, know, he was, every, he was just we, helping Frank Joe. But really, so like, like you put a scope in, but we didn't really couldn't do anything while we were in there. You know, Brian Cole, like we have Brian on. Brian's the same year as me, and you know, we were putting these short tacks in, and and so the idea was you needed to develop instrumentation to be able to create all of the, the things that we take for granted today. You know, our young, you know, our young uh, colleagues that, oh yeah, you pop the shoulder in, you know, you scope here, you throw that thing over there, you got instruments there. None of that stuff existed. You had to create it. And so, you know, it was really a tremendous, you know, learning experience. And and then because of that, your your partnership with industry, you become, an, an, you know, the idea of entrepreneurship and uh, as well. So you go into private practice, you, you, you fly out of LA, you go down to Tampa and you're down in Florida for a bunch of time. Um, and then you started working your way back. Uh, then you came back to, uh, was it Salt Lake city or no, you were in, you were in park city with, uh, yeah. with, with Hyden as well. Where you guys had your clinic there as well. So yeah. give us like a, the short story on that private practice development about Florida and then heading back out to Utah. Yeah. So, um, I, I went, our family, both my wife and my family was in Florida. So we, I wanted to set up shop in Florida and did so in St. Petersburg, Florida. And um, I kind of, I joined a four man group. The three of the guys were much older. 
and soon we became a multi-specialty group and together we developed um, like a large, it was about 40,000 square feet, everything under one roof. You could do that in Florida at the time. Uh, surgical center, CT, MR, PT, uh, very full service. And in 2007, we were able to sell the surgical center. 2000, yeah, 2007, we sold the project. And so to me, I was 15 years into my career, uh, I had the opportunity to reflect on what I wanted to do with the remainder of my career. And um, we really liked Park City. I thought being in the middle of the country, I was doing at that time lots of surgeries that people were traveling to see me to have the surgeries done. And being in the middle of the country, I thought was more uh, favorable for patients to travel than be in Tampa. Tampa, while a nice place, is not a hub for any airline and it's not easy to get to from the West Coast or the middle of the United States. So I thought that Park City was a lovely place. I'd been familiar with it. I'm a big skier, my wife's a big cyclist and it, it really has worked out beautifully for us. So li lifestyle, you know, personal as well as professional was a sort of a great fit for you to make that move. It really was. This, uh, this year was emblematic. I mean, I skied 61 days this year and uh, it was a fabulous season. Now we're transitioning to bike season. It's a really great lifestyle. Uh, and it's a matter of balance, you know, you uh, do the things you love. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. So, so, all right. So let's talk a little bit about some of the things that you're doing, you know, outside the clinical practice. Um, you've mentioned that you're at Utah now, and I know that you've, you've got a gig at the University of Utah that sounds pretty interesting. And I'm sure that our listeners would love to hear about it. Yeah, thanks. So um, the University of Utah is interesting. They really uh, have a focus on entrepreneurship and innovation and there's a Center for Medical Innovation in particular. And so I've worked with the CMI, the Center for Medical Innovation, for probably about eight years now. Initially, my involvement, the, the state of Utah and the university sponsor a, a contest for student-formulated teams um, called uh, Bench to Bedside Contest. And I've been a judge of that for, I think, this was the eighth year uh, this past month. And the program historically has allowed students to coalesce and form teams around ideas. And then they kind of speed date or match up with mentors. And then a mentor like myself would help these teams in certain ways. And about a few years ago, uh, right at the beginning of the pandemic, one of the deans asked me if we would try something and reverse engineer it. He knew about all the things I had done in my career, all the companies I started and run. He said, Phil, why don't you start a company, invite the students to participate and, uh, and let's see if they can learn something in that capacity. So uh, I started a team and a company, the company's called Aether Masks. And together with some students, they're all graduate students, uh, we designed a fog-free surgical mask. And that's been really exciting because now we're at the point where we're commercializing that. So all this is really in the context of my, my status there is that of entrepreneur in residence at the University of Utah. And it's really designed to uh, to instruct, to support, to help students in the in the business side of uh, healthcare. I mean, that's awesome. I mean, right? You've spent thirty years of your life developing wisdom and expertise on the clinical side, and then you have several businesses that you've done as well. And then being able to share and mentor that uh, to another generation is is outstanding. I mean, it's just a super cool thing to do. Yeah, I was really excited. One of the students um, in the on the team who at that time was when we started, he was a first year medical student. I think on the basis of our interactions and mentorship, now he's getting actually an MD, uh, he's getting an MBA and an MD. And I sponsored him for uh, for the business school program there. 
So I'm really that, excited by that because I think he's inspired. He wants that, to no, that's that's as, as good as it gets, man. That's that's yeah. fantastic. I love it. Yeah. All right. So so aside from that, so you're a busy orthopedic surgeon, you're skiing too much. Uh, you're getting ready to bike, and I hope you're going to be safe, right? Because I think of both of those things, and I'm worrying about you in the operating room and having injuries, but you'll be okay. Uh, but you have another project that you're working on now, too, which uh, I have some experience with as well, which is Arcuro Medical. You're the, the medical director. Tell us a little bit about this company and what's exciting and what you see there. Yeah, so maybe um, the way I was introduced to the company is illustrative about what it is and why I'm engaged. So uh, this is about two and a half years ago. I was contacted by a friend to say, Phil, I wanna introduce you to this company. It's out of Israel. You're really gonna like the CEO. She's a Jewish grandmother and she's a lovely person. And that really didn't grab me. But then he said, listen, she's the brains behind what used to be Tag Medical. And for my whole career, I've really admired this design team out of Israel that started with Tag Medical. First, they sold products as Tag Medical, then they sold through Acufex. Then they did a lot of projects for other companies such as the Arthro Tunneler, and the core osteochondral transplant system. Like I've been admiring at a distance this team's work for decades. And then when I realized that was the team that I was being introduced to, I was like, let me, let me learn more. So we met in San Diego. The CEO's name is Lee Ranon, and her vice president for the Americas is now a colleague and good friend named Philip Hammond. And so the three of us sat down over dinner and uh, it was an immediate fit. They were essentially in the very earliest stages of commercialization. They had not really frozen the design, so they needed help in, um, in several areas that I had a lot of experience. So I was able to define uh, what I thought they needed, and it was really a direct correlate with the skills I have had over the years. So I assembled for them an, a scientific advisory board. Uh, I helped design the biomechanical studies and the clinical studies to support the product uh, theoretically and in the marketplace. Um, I help to engage strategically in terms of how the company is positioned uh, in the industry and with our peers. I do teaching at meetings and it's been a, it's really been a labor of love. But the thing about the product is that it has these novel features that when I, I use this product, it, the product is for meniscal repair. And the things that we currently use on the market or historically have used have problems. And what this team had done, and that made me so excited, and you can probably hear it in my voice, is that they solved the problems with the product. Like when you deploy the current products on the market, up to a third of them pop out or fail at the time you're trying to, to deploy it. Then when you, uh, when you have it in place, the current products tend to cut the meniscus. And then the other, the, the last feature is that the product, it deploys dependably, it's strong, and it is all, all suture and there's no knots in the joint. So at every check, 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 it does all the things we really want. So I'm, it's a product project that I'm super excited about and really glad to be able to participate in. You know, as orthopedic surgeons, we get asked, you know, if you've been around for a long enough time, got enough gray hair, you know, people are always asking for your opinion and they want to you know, potentially partner with you. And and more often than not, you know, they're OK. Right. They may have a decent idea. They may not. Like, are they capitalized? Are they not? Do they have good leaders? Do, you know, do they have good engineers? And it's pretty rare, you know, to find a company such as this that has, 
you know, you, you mentioned all of the products that they've come up with, and uh, the Ladder J group, for example, Ladder J system right. run the FOSS. They were a part of that with Tag as well. So really, a, a tremendous core group of people. And then, you know, more often than not in orthopedics, it's adjacent innovation, right? It's a little widget. This, this gets changed just a little bit. But, you know, it, it it's not that often that something comes around that really sort of is really uniquely different. And I think that uh, this technology really has the the opportunity to be able to do that and, and really be, you know, quite unique. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. I've had the, it's called the Super Bowl, right? And so I've had the opportunity to use it. And it's like they call it the monkey fist, you know, the technology, which I think is kind of cool, right? You, the monkey puts like a fruit inside the tree, but when it goes in to grab it with his hand and then it, it goes to grab it, it can't get its hand out. But right. you know, you know, really cool ideas from, from that perspective. And Lee, Lee is like, you know, she's like your booby. I mean, you, she wanted you, she's going to make you matzo ball soup. You're going to go to the house on Friday night for dinner. I mean, she's so sweet and kind, but yet has been so influential in so many aspects of the things that we use in our sports medicine careers. She she came over to, before I formally engaged with the company, she came over to our house for a Friday night dinner. And uh, after the dinner, she's gone and uh, I'm cleaning up with, with my wife. My wife turns to me and says, I don't know what they do, but you should do it. <laughs> I think that's very, very, very well said. Well, hopefully yeah. for them, it sounds like they're gaining a lot of interest uh, out there from the larger players in the space. And so, you know, hopefully that's going to that's going to play out as well. But look, you know, look, you know, Phil, this has been great. You know, really appreciate your energy, you know, your passion for orthopedics, our shared history at Curl and Job. Uh, the fact that you're 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 playing it forward and paying it forward to uh, the University of Utah and the entrepreneur resident. I love that, you know, sort of concept and idea. That's wonderful. And then uh, your time with Arcura, hopefully uh, will we'll help for those guys to get across the finish line and have success as well. Thank you so much, Scott. I really appreciate the opportunity to share my story and to get to know you a little bit better, too. Yeah, no, for sure. Curl and Job forever. Although the names have changed and some great legends that have been there. And now it's combined with Cedar sinai as well as for Santa Monica Orthopedic Group. But uh, for the original Curl and Job fellows, you know, we stick together for strong, for sure. This yeah. is Dr. Sc That's all good. This is Dr. Scott Sigmund, hashtag follow the fro, host of the Ortho Show. Till next time.